2: but you also have your husband over here. So now you're set up for a potential severe conflict. And your conflict could be, my husband is my husband, I'm to submit to him. In fact, the word husband means Lord, all right? It has the idea of being the person who's over you. But I also have a secondary person that's over me. So now what do I do? Probably there could be here tension in your family because you're going off to work, certain demands are made of you, certain things need to be done and yet your husband has expectations of you your family has expectations of you and now you don't know how to really put this all together I can only submit to you this and that is that it's referring here to be in subjection to your own husband so now you have a choice and your choice can be all right, do I submit to my boss male or female or someone else's husband if you know what I'm saying uh, or do I submit to my my earthly husband I'm sensing from scripture that your highest calling is to submit to your own husband. So now when there is a conflict, you ought to bring that conflict to your husband and say, now we have a conflict. You would desire this, but I need to be here because you have allowed me, you've encouraged me maybe to go get a job. And now I have another boss telling me what to do. And now we have tension in the family. What do I do? So now ultimately you and your husband can sit down and decide together because that's your highest priority is your home and your husband how this thing should be able to be worked out so that your husband is in the position to give you the direction that God would have you to go in that situation. Not without appeal, not without discussion, but your own husband first. And then it says, as it is fitting in the Lord. Well, I thought I'd open up that a little bit by giving you some truths about submission. So if you're going to submit in the Lord, what would be, as a wife, how do I submit in the Lord as a wife? And here's four of them here. They could give a bunch more, but let me give you four here. Number one, to submit in the Lord, what's fitting in the Lord, it does not cancel out equality. That there is this equality that you still experience between you and your husband. Now just remember, Jesus and God the Father were one. We already know that. And yet, it says that Jesus finished the work his Father had him to do. That Jesus submitted to his Father. That doesn't mean that Jesus was less. It just means that when there was something that needed to be done, there was a a pecking order, you might say. You'll also find that in 1 Corinthians, which you see God the Father, then you have Jesus, then you have man, then you have woman. It does not sense inferiority it is an equality, but based on getting certain things done. So we see that here. It is not canceling out equality. So you are equal. Maybe another way to help you see this is that husband and wife now, you're both are Christians, husband, wife, but at the same time, you, your husband is your brother in Christ and you are the sister in Christ. So you are like an equal and a brother and sister because both of you have God as your father in this. So while there's different positions, there's also equality. It does Not cancel out equality It's fitting in the Lord for you to submit But it's also fitting in the Lord to realize That there's equality Number two everyone must submit to other people It's not just wives you're not singled out As to be in the doormat you're not singled out As being the only ones that have to submit Everyone needs to submit and if you don't mind I'd like to share this thought with you husbands For a moment do you know in the context of Ephesians Before it ever tells the wives To submit to the husbands It does say that we're to submit one toward another We're submitting to one another So even as the wise would submit to us, husbands, we also need to submit to the needs of our wife to make sure that she is provided for, she's protected, her needs are being met, and that we are in a position to encourage her, to serve her, to lighten her load for her as her servant as well. Number three it does not mean that we should disobey God in speaking to the ladies again there may be a time that you will be asked maybe even demanded and commanded to do something that you very much clearly know is in opposition to God's Word and if it's an opposition to God's Word obviously it's an opposition to God so what does that do now because now you have an issue it says to submit to your own husband but over here he's asking to do something that is anti-biblical well my first step would be You ought to pray and say, God, there's a log jam coming here and I want to make sure that I am with you on all my sin. I want to be with you the way I should be. Lord, would you help my husband see this or show me where I'm wrong in this? So you pray. The second is that with a tender servant, loving heart, you know that he's asking you, demanding you to do something that is unbiblical. You go to him then and then very lovingly make an appeal. Allow him the opportunity to change his mind. Give him some time. If he is so wry, he's so full of negative energy, then there is a time that you will have to then decide. It's better to obey God than to obey man or husband or any other ordinance of man that is not biblical. Now, when you do that, I must remind you that it does not necessarily mean that you will end up on the high side of this. You could have some tremendous repercussions because of it. And I pray that it would not be a violent situation after that or worse than that. But I will tell you that even when you disobey, there are times that we suffer for the name of Christ. On the other hand, may I tell you, in my 30 years of pastoring, I have seen some women who have done that when they were asked to do something that was contrary to Scripture, before they stuck out their tongue and wagged their bony finger of wrath at their husband. They humbled themselves. They went to God. They sought God's help and wisdom and how to navigate through this. They made a very careful, loving, wise appeal. And I have seen more than once where that husband broke And listen to his wife and confess that that was the wrong decision that he was asking her to do. And I'm telling you, it can happen. But it takes a very special woman, a spirit-filled, God-filled woman to do it. And I'm blessed in this church that you women have that desire and you have that capability. And maybe we can turn the tide. So it does not mean that we should disobey God. There are times that you have to obey him, whatever the cost. Number four. This is something I'd like the husbands to listen to, even though I'm speaking to the wives. The submission that's fitting in the Lord, it cannot be imposed. Husbands, don't force submission. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Listen, men, it doesn't say, husbands, get your wives to submit to you. Did you hear that? Let me say that one more time. It doesn't say, husbands, get your wives to submit to you. Now, let me see if I can frame it this way for you. Let's go back to the Bible again. And I know we're involved in a lot of human relations situations. And it may be tough, and I, I can't speak to you specifically, and I'd love to do that. And call me or email me or visit me or make an appointment. But generally speaking now, in this situation, understand that, wives, your responsibility is to submit to the Lord. And you do that by submitting to your husband. Husbands, your job, first and foremost, you'll see in a moment, is to really love them. It's for you to model before them a spirit-filled, God-filled man, a man who is dealing with your own demons, we might say, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, alive unto God, that you're choosing to do this, and you're asking your wife and you to do something, or telling her maybe even to do something, expecting her to do something, and she's not functioning in the way that you want. The biblical world is to, you leave it with her, you might coach her a little bit, help her out a little bit. But if she's not willing to do that, remember that you have to leave her to the Lord and allow the Lord to deal with it. Because her disobedience, now listen ladies, don't, don't be angry with me, I, I'm saying this as much love as I can. If he's not asking you to do something that's anti-biblical, if you have trouble disobeying him, the real problem could be that you have a problem obeying God, not obeying your husband. Your problem is with God, not your husband. And so for you men, since that is possible, then if they're not obeying you, don't force them to submit. What you have to do then is a very loving, kind, patient way. First ask yourself, what about me is causing her not to want to surrender or to follow my lead? Is there something that I've done that I stepped over the line? Is it maybe that my wife is having perhaps a bad flesh day, we might call it. And we all have that and so we have to bathe them with kindness and mercy and understanding and grace. And deliver them unto the Lord. And then to be available during that time that she does have some things that are just, just piling up on her. Just, it, it'll pile up on us, so to have an understanding spirit. And perhaps just going through a half a dozen of those times, she might then really respect you because instead of you flying off the handle, you gave her space to fight it out with God. And vice versa as well. So look at those four areas and see if that might really help you. Now, I don't know about you, but some of us have been on the island of Kauai, and you notice how they have those single-lane bridges. Sometimes you're going to Hana, sometimes you go, or that's on Maui, but when you're going to Hanalei, Hanalei in the bay and all that, there's this little single bridge over there. And I remember this one time as I was driving and I was praising the Lord. There was no cars in front of me because I sometimes wondered, Do you go first? Do I go first? You go first. Do I go first? So I'm always wondering: Who, who does all of this stuff? You know? And of course, my nature is: If I let him go first, that means 55,000 other cars are going to follow him, and I'm going to be here another two hours. You know? You know how you go through that? Well, this one time it said "Yield to oncoming cars." And I looked, and there's no cars. And you're kind of saying "Yippee!" So you drive across the bridge. We went into Honolulu we did our thing, turned around, came back to Princeville. And while we're doing, it, I'm, I'm heading to the same bridge. And of course, my stomach is getting more knots because Figuring out how do I handle this bridge thing so I don't, you know, mess up my testimony, the culture, and all of this. And you know what I found out? On both sides of the bridge, it says, Yield to oncoming cars. So now you've got two signs on a one way bridge that says to yield. And I thought that is a golden illustration of what marriage is all about. It's not one car is more powerful than the other because they've got a bigger engine or it's a bigger car. Maybe it got there first. Maybe it's just teaching us that there's really only one way to do this, but the one way means that both parties have to yield. And yes, watch this now. Yes, it is yielding to the needs and the desires of others, but it's ultimately more yielding to God because the whole context of this study is our relationship, do everything unto the Lord to please Him, including relationships and marriage, and it's all based on yieldedness. So to yield to someone here is born on our yieldedness to God. In our life. And I hope that might bless you. Let me now move to the men for just a moment. The key word for husbands is to love. It's not a very difficult one. I think you already know that. It talks about husbands. Love your wives. In a particular way, this word love means you keep on loving. It doesn't mean you love them to get married, you love them once, or you love them when you're in the physical act. It's that you are continually bathing them with love. And some people do say that that love gets stronger and stronger as you're to to, to be with one another. And then it says, and do not be bitter toward them. We'll talk about that bitterness in just a moment. But let's talk about four truths about love for a moment. Guys, not a very long list. I think it's short enough for us to remember it. And I think we could really embrace this. And so if you're not married yet, men, this is what you want to be when you get married. And then those of you who are married, go back to this. Read the directions again. The thing you're putting together is not coming together real well. The parts aren't fitting just right. It's still rattling here. It's not coming together the way you'd like. Go back to the manual. And here are four little simple little boxes to remember. Number one. Four truths about love. It is selfless and sacrificial. Selfless means it's not about you, husbands. It is about God. And how is it about God? It's about your wife. And then it's sacrificial. And I put that word there because we see it all over Scripture that we represent Christ. And Christ is sacrificial, so we're to be sacrificial. So let me put it in common man language. The man language is this. It should cost us something. It should cost us something. If we love our wives, it should cost us something. And I know some of you are saying, boy, does it cost us. I'm still paying off the credit card. It's a lot more than that, guys. It'll cost you your time. It'll cost you your energy. It'll cost you probably the most you have is called pride. It's going to cost you giving up your pride. It's sacrificial for them. It's putting them first yourself, not second, but last. Number two, it is of the will or commitment as well as of the heart. I think today, uh, Madison Avenue and movies and television and all of that has put too much emphasis on the emotion, passion of love. And when that is gone, then we don't love any longer. So we equate so much love with the emotion of it rather than the act of will or the commitment of it. And so for you husbands, when you say, I love, that means you're laying your life down for them. You know that occasionally I'm asked to do a wedding. And sometimes in the wedding, we do what is known as a lay exchange. Guys, I know it sounds kind of, you know, wimpy and you know kind of girly to do this but listen for a moment usually I'll have the guy take this lay and I'm holding it up and I'm explaining to the group that's there that each one of these flowers are very aromatic and they're very tender and they look so beautiful just like your wife and they're all going oh yes 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 and then I say you know these little petals on this little lay here I'm going to tell you that they are very delicate you can see how delicate they are and of course a lot of the mainland people oh yeah that's very delicate and then I say also these flowers are very strong too because we have trade winds that are blowing constantly and these lays will lay a, this lay will last a long time so it's tender but it's also tough. So when you put this upon your wife's shoulder now I want you to as a symbol let her know that she is very tough, she's very tender she's very beautiful and that you love her. and you place that over. Of course everybody likes that. Then I have another lay for the guys. And it's usually a Miley-type type lay. You know, you've seen those big... Sometimes they, they bring these girly lays to the guys, and that's okay, I guess. But this, I like the, the ones with the, the greenery. So I'm holding this big, long one, and I'm, I'm explaining to the crowd, looking at her, but I'm looking at him, kind of sending him a signal through her. When you place this lay upon his shoulder, here's what you're saying to him. You're saying to him that you are my protector like the warriors in the days of old here in Hawaii. When they would go off to battle in their form of battle, that you would say you'd protect us so that we would be safe on the island, our family would be safe. Now we don't get into the whole historical Hawaiian war culture, but part of it is that. But i also say something else. When you place this lay upon his shoulder, you're also saying this. You're saying you are my provider for me, that you will farm, you will hunt, you will fish, you will take care of the needs of the family. Now, I didn't live 200 years ago or longer and all that, I didn't even live 59 years ago. But I do know this, that while the women did some of that same thing, they'd farm a little bit, do a little fishing themselves, but most of that fell upon the men. And so this is what I say to you guys. When you look at these women out here, your wife, you look at yourself as a protector. Now, obviously, I hope you would take a bullet for her. I hope you check to make sure the doors are even locked in your house and the alarm is set when you leave. But I also hope that you protect her emotionally and mentally from the assault of this society that is totally of Satan. And while you're saying, yeah, <laughs> that's me. And also protect her from your own nature that's depraved, that sometimes can go wild. Well, let's go a little bit further. It's a will. It's a choice. Number three, it is working for the highest good Of the wife in other words you look at her as a delicate instrument she's tough she's tender but she also is one that you want to put out for other people to see so it's the highest good that you possibly can provide for your wife and then finally it is without bitterness interesting that word bitterness is like the taste of bitterness it's like a a plant that you put a seasoning on your tongue it's like oh that is so bitter that is that is horrible well, whatever you can think of the most bitterness, it says, don't be embittered towards your wife. Now, maybe a way to say that to you guys would be this. Listen up. A practical man way to say it would be this. You can be all lovey-dovey, poopsie-tootsie, and all this stuff with your wife, but at the same time, if you curse her, at the same time you yell at her, the same time you put her down then what that is, you're embittering her because you're sending her a signal of love, then you're sending her a signal of hatred and anger, you're wrapping it all together, so now she even questions the time that you're very sweet to her, and she gets even more bitter or hurt because of that. So don't be embittered, and don't bring about bitterness from her as well by that. Keep that in mind, that might really help you. I'd like to kind of bring this to a close by having you think about this, and I'm going to speak to the men because I just sense that they are the spiritual leaders of the home, but ladies, listen to this. William Bennett, who used to be uh, the czar of education here in our country, he said that every divorce is like the destruction of a mini civilization. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. When a couple separates, there's like a, little, a destruction or the demise of that little family unit, that little civilization. Another evangelist by the name of Robert Abbott said this that, that even though there are, there are automobile accidents where people die, we don't quit driving. And so maybe there have been fatal marital relationships, but we don't quit getting married. We don't quit trying to make it work and learning how to do it better. But maybe a way to look at that is like moral weight. He uses this illustration of a car that's carrying a very heavy trailer filled with equipment behind him. And when you see something coming in front of you, that that moral trailer that you have, you know that you've got to start braking sooner so you don't have a relational wreck in front of you. So what are some of the signs that tell you that you should be applying some breaks in your relationship so you don't have a marital relationship wreck? And I'd like to submit these to you very quickly. Don't need to preach them. But I want you guys to lean into this, and wives, as well. Here's when you can see it coming. When you are busy and there is no time to be alone with God, you're heading for a wreck. When you're too busy to spend at least one relaxed evening a week with your wife and family, you're heading for a wreck. When you feel you deserve more attention than you're getting at home, you're heading for a wreck. When you wouldn't want your wife to see what you're reading or looking at anywhere, you're heading for a wreck. When the romance in your marriage is fading, you're heading for a wreck. When your charisma, appearance, personality are attractive to women and you're tempted to use it, you're heading for a wreck. When you enjoy fantasizing about an illicit relationship, you're heading for a wreck. When a woman makes herself available by her behavior, you're heading for a wreck. When some woman, not your wife, tells you how wonderful you are and how much she loves you, you're heading for a wreck. When scriptures concerning adultery are for others but not you, you're heading for a wreck. When you start feeling sorry for yourself, you're heading for a wreck. And when you hope God Is not looking or listening. You're heading for a wreck. I don't want you to have even a dented fender, let alone a wreck. I don't want you to have a wreck because of the pain it would cause you, your mate, your children, your brothers and sisters in this church. But more than anything, the reason I don't want you to have a dent Or a wreck. It's because what it will do to the name of Jesus Christ. So if you right now is carrying this load and you see these warning signs up, would you begin to apply those spiritual breaks by the power of God? I pray you will do that. Those of you who are our guests and you're saying, Boy, this is important stuff, I need to do this. Let me quickly tell you, there is no way you'll ever be able to do it purely as a man or a husband or a wife or a woman by yourself. You'll do it for a little while. Some have done pretty well. But I'm going to tell you, the way you do it is when you've received from the Lord the full forgiveness of all your past wrecks and dents, all your mental wrecks and dents, you know, the things you've gone through in your mind. And you confess that all to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I want you to forgive me of all my sin. You promised that you loved me. You went to the cross. You paid for my sin debt. I'm now going to receive from you the full forgiveness of my sin. Lord, I want to thank you that I can have a new life, eternal life, and a new relationship. And I want to begin my first new relationship with you. So can you say between you and the Lord right now, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I know my good works won't get me to heaven. My promise for moral purity and being a very, very submissive wife or a very, very loving husband. Those are good deeds, good to do, but that won't get you to heaven. It's purely by faith alone. And I pray you'll trust it. Would you now take a moment and just take inventory between you and the Lord? And first you want to say, Lord, I want to thank you for loving me just the way I am. I'm so grateful that I came here today to be reminded one more time that you love the world and that you proved your love to me and that while I was a sinner, you died on the cross and rose again so I could go to heaven. And Lord, I want to thank you that you made it so that I could go to heaven, not by all my good works because I'll never be good enough. And no matter how bad I've been, you can forgive every bunch of my sins forever. And so, Lord, I am relying on you to forgive me of that sin and take me to heaven. I'm not promising this or that, but I am receiving from you eternal life. And and I know you hate sin. And, Lord, I'm coming to you and thanking you that I can go to heaven. I am totally relying on you to be my forever Savior. Now, if you're doing that in your own words, as long as you're not trusting your, your works or trusting Christ and your works... Then in the authority of God's word, he says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. You now have a brand new born-again relationship. You are reborn. Is there anyone in here today with heads bowed and eyes closed that would like to say with an uplifted hand, silently, without coming forward, without standing up, without being embarrassed, that you're trusting Christ as your Savior today? And here's what you do. Pastor, I'm trusting Christ for my forgiveness of sin. I am looking to Jesus as the Savior and the Lord has done this for me. So is there anyone in here today that would say today is my my new beginning, my new relationship? Because Jesus remade me today. I know I'm going to heaven. He is in my life. I know that my sins are forgiven. Is there anyone today with heads bowed and eyes closed? Okay. Christians. I would like you to know that if you want to call me or email me about some issues that you're dealing with, if you think we could talk and you need some help, I'd be glad to do that. But more than anything, would you tell the Lord this? Let Him know how much you love Him and how much you now are going to go back to what you've learned before. And you women are going to be more submissive to the Lord by submitting to your husbands. And you husbands are going to be more loving like the Lord to your wives to make it far easier for her to submit to you because you are more like Christ than ever before. And You can do that, guys. You can have a do-over if you're a Christian. You can do that. In a humorous way, I just remember that someone once said, Marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too warm besides someone who is sleeping in a room that's too cold. That's yieldedness. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for these dear people who so much want to be like you that they come week after week ready to learn and listen to your word. And that, Father, that they want to know it, they want to know it accurately, and they want to have your power to apply it. And so, Lord, I pray that through this that we'll have stronger marriages so we can have healthier families and a more godly society. So, Father, thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word, together on a Tuesday, the 27th day of June, 2017, as the month flies on by, it'll be gone soon, brand new month will be here July, and I'll have a birthday, oh my goodness. <laughs> And then, uh, hey, here we are. We're having a great time. I'm Alan Dempsey, here with you in the afternoons. Always love the company. Looking good out there. And uh, the weather-wise, uh, 81 feels like 92, and it's partly cloudy uh, right now. You've been listening to Stan Ponds and Make It Clear, a local Orlando ministry. Been a blessing to you this afternoon. Let them know that. Write them an email. And also, you could help them out. You know, the ministries are here. Uh, they they uh, pay for the broadcast. Time. and they've remained here because of generous financial gifts from listeners like you. If it is a blessing, bless them back, support them with a financial gift and help ensure the ponds and make it clear stays right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word, where no one covers today's issues. From a Christian perspective like Carmen LeBurge host of The Reconnect, weekdays at 3. Now Carmen puts God back into the conversation every single day, which we really need right now, where faith and culture intersect. It's The Reconnect, Carmen LeBurge, weekdays at three, right here where faith comes by hearing. And speaking of hearing about faith, do you feel like God went one way and you went the other? You'll learn five principles for walking in step with Jesus and living life to the fullest. That's next on In Touch. Dr. Charles Stanley right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word
2: being a published author. I love running the kindergarten store. I love my teachers.
0: Geneva has felt like home for our family since we enrolled our first child as a kindergartner seven years ago. Hi, I'm Shelley Schaefer, mom of a fifth and sixth grader at the Geneva School. Irish poet William Yates once said, education is not the filling of a bucket, but the lighting of a fire. Geneva seeks to instill in each student a lifelong love of learning in an environment where students are encouraged to create, discover, ask, wonder, feel, and listen. We could not be more pleased with the education that our children are receiving. Come explore Geneva in Winter Park. Call the school for a tour at 407 332 6363. Or simply go online to GenevaSchool.org. A Christian classical school. A community of faith and learning. The Geneva School. Go online to GenevaSchool.org. GenevaSchool.org. I'm Trina Webster. And I'm Dan Webster, founders of Z-Quiet. Let me be honest, I snored. Yeah, he did. Crazy loud. And I was forced to sleep on the couch most nights. Dan tried everything, including surgery, to solve his snoring problem.
2: Nothing worked.
0: So we turned to experts and created a solution that's a total game changer, a mouthpiece called Z-Quiet. Not just
2: any mouthpiece, one that gently opens
0: the airway where the snoring happens. In fact, it's based on the same technology as treatments costing
2: thousands of dollars.
0: It allows natural jaw movement so you can talk breathe normally and best of all sleep comfortably without making a sound.
2: And what's really cool is that it couldn't be easier. Just pop it in before you go to sleep to kick snoring out of bed.
0: So you can sleep quiet. With Z Quiet.
1: Z Quiet fits both men and women. Try it risk-free for 30 days for just $9.95. Go to getzquiet.com or text snore to 91011. Go to getzquiet.com or text snore to 91011.
0: This week on Bless Israel with
3: Rabbi Yaquil Eckstein. We have in the Jewish tradition the idea that when you meet someone, you're not just meeting that person. You're meeting God's presence as embodied in that person. So you're to love one another for the people they are. And that's what we're called upon. Weekday evenings at 8 on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. 94.9
0: FM and AM 950. Central Florida's WTLN Orlando. The word where faith comes by here. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.